We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 136 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show for you guys. It is Georgia week. I'll break down the Gamecocks road trip to Athens, Georgia, to take on the Bulldogs. I'll talk about the storylines, key matchups to watch, keys to the game, give my prediction, and much, much more. Also, have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks catcher Robert Berry as we talk about his path to South Carolina, winning the 2010 and 2011 national championships, playing for head coach Ray Tanner, life after baseball, and much, much more. Before we do that, this is a podcast sent to you by our friends over at Tanny Hills Group Therapy. Yes, Tanny Hills Group Therapy, the oldest bar in five points owned by legendary USC quarterback Steve Tannehill. They've got great specials for you guys, including Taco Tuesday, Wing Wednesday. They're perfect if you're a local here in Columbia, you want to grab a bite to eat, or if you're in town for a game day or if you're just searching for a fun night out in the town, Tanny Hills is the way to go. Again, that's Tanny Hills Group Therapy located down in Five Points. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show Center. I'm Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show, as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. It is Georgia week, and I've got one thing to say to lead off this show. To hell with Georgia. To hell with Georgia. To hell, to hell, to hell with Georgia. To hell, to hell, to hell with Georgia, the cesspool of the South. To hell with the Georgia Bulldogs. Like I said, it is Georgia week. South Carolina take on the Georgia Bulldogs in Athens, Georgia, this Saturday noon kickoff on ESPN. Uh, really, really excited to be back with you guys. Obviously, it is. you're hearing me in a different slot here. It's Wednesday afternoon. Wednesday morning, whenever you're hearing this, but uh, I am very, very excited to record. It's funny. I had sort of avoided not recording on Sunday afternoon, posting on Monday. It kind of felt weird. Obviously, with the bye week, really wasn't a whole lot going on, really nothing going on over the weekend, so I thought it would be much smarter to consolidate this week's shows, do one big show on Wednesday or just one show on Wednesday previewing the Georgia game, but obviously, starting next week or next week, we'll go back to the normal Monday, Thursday routine, but uh I missed you guys. I'm not going to lie to you. I really did miss you guys. It's kind of weird. It's like, I feel like I haven't, we haven't re- talked, we haven't recorded an episode in forever. And I'm like, it's only been 
two more days than normal, but it has felt like an eternity. So it feels good, obviously, to record again and talk to you guys to come back. Episode 136 of the Spurs Up Show. Extremely excited to dive into everything that is the Georgia Bulldogs and dive into Georgia Week in the Gamecocks with a huge opportunity, obviously, going to Athens. Uh, before getting everything, just one quick housekeeping item you guys probably saw on social media. The Spurs Up Show watch party this Saturday afternoon from Tanny Hills Group Therapy, obviously our great sponsor. Uh, having a watch party at Group Therapy in Five Points. Doors will open at 11.30. Kickoff, obviously, at noon. If you guys are in the Columbia area, you're looking for somewhere fun to watch the game. The first watch party was a blast. Uh, be sure to come out to Group Therapy. Again, kickoffs at noon. Doors going to open at 11.30. It's going to be a really, really good time. Uh, food, drinks, former Gamecocks will be there. Um, really, really excited about this. So again, if you're in the local Columbia area, I know students are on fall break this weekend. If for some reason you're a student and you are in town, or again, if you just live around the Columbia area and you want a really fun spot to watch the game on Saturday, Tanny Hills Group Therapy is going to be the spot to be. Obviously, I'm going to be there, going to be watching the game, covering everything. Uh, drinks will be flowing. It'll be a really, really good time. So again, Doors open at 1130, kickoff at noon, Tanny Hills Group Therapy for the watch party. Uh, also, one of the things I always say, if you haven't done so, pause the podcast right now. Go to whatever outlet you're listening to, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever platform you're on. Do me a favor, leave a five-star review. Just leave a review with your feedback, your thoughts. Really do appreciate you guys doing that. Obviously, it helps boost up the show for those who maybe don't know about the Spurs Up show or um, – Maybe you've never heard of us. Uh, it obviously helps those guys find us. So, again, if you could do me a favor, pause the podcast, leave your thoughts, feedback, uh, leave a five-star review. If you have thoughts, if you have some things you like, you don't like, you want to voice those opinions or voice how you feel about the show, please be sure to do that. I really, really do appreciate you guys doing that. Thank you so much. Um, all right, let's get into it again. To hell with Georgia. It is Georgia week. Gamecocks taking on the Bulldogs. Noon kick on ESPN in Athens, Georgia at Sanford Stadium. South Carolina in this one. A 24-and-a-half-point underdog over-under set at 52-and-a-half. Uh, series history, Georgia leads the overall series 51-18-2, and, and we don't forget uh, the last time they met, which was last year, that hyped-up matchup all offseason where the Gamecocks were really supposed to be the team that was going to challenge Georgia for the SEC East crown. Georgia came into Columbia and showed why they're one of the best teams in the country, won that game 41-17. to um, kind of interesting news on the injury report here. So, Will Muschamp and his Tuesday press are coming out saying that Rico Dowdle, DeCarion Joyner, and Randrikas Davis are all expected to play Saturday. Uh, Rico Dowdle himself said that he was full go in practice. He's coming back from that ankle. Obviously, he should be good to go. So, really good news for South Carolina on the injury front, which is not something I feel like we've said a ton since Will Muschamp became the head coach. So, obviously, getting those guys back, especially getting Rico back fully healthy for this game, was something you just had to do. The bye week couldn't have come at a better time. Everybody kind of, you know, licking their wounds, if you will. But Rico Dowdle, those guys, Rico, Dak Joyner, and Randrikas Davis, all expected to play Saturday. So very, very good news for South Carolina, again, on the injury front. Um, breaking down the Bulldogs just a little bit, obviously their head coach is Kirby Smart. The Bulldogs right now ranked number three in the AP poll. They are 5-0 and with wins over Vanderbilt, Murray State, Arkansas State, Notre Dame and Tennessee. Obviously, most recently, the Bulldogs took down Tennessee. And a game that was really, really interesting, obviously, in Knoxville, um, that game was really close for about the first two and a half quarters. And then Georgia ran away with it. They won that, that game by a score of 43 to 14. But when, when you take a look at the game notes here, um, I'm taking left, probably look at the box score instead. When you take a look at that game, that game was actually, if anybody watched it, that game was really close for a while um, and closer than much, much closer than anybody thought it would be for, for most of the game. So it, 
26 to 14 at halftime. Uh, at one point, Tennessee was leading the football game. I think it was 14 to seven, or I know it was 14 to 10 for sure, but uh, kind of an interesting game. But obviously, Georgia pulls away, wins by 29 points, ho hum type of performance. Um, they obviously feature a great running game. Jake Fromm, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, and obviously a fantastic defense under Kirby Smart. So let's talk about, let's move into it. Let's talk about some of the biggest storylines heading into this football game. And for me, my first one that I lead off with, South Carolina, back, back on the road, back in business, coming off the bye week, but you're back on the road. To me, this has been a different game football team on the road than it has at home. You take a look this year. Charleston Southern, Alabama, Kentucky, South, you know, even Alabama, but can, Charleston Southern, Alabama, Kentucky. South Carolina's played really well at home, I feel like, really spirited, a lot of energy. You look at the games away from home, North Carolina, which I understand was a neutral site in Charlotte, but still a game away from home, and Missouri. South Carolina has looked le- much less than impressive. Lethargic, hasn't come out with a ton of energy. South Carolina obviously goes back on the road to Sanford Stadium, which – you know, they are lucky it's a noon kickoff. It's not going to be quite as raucous an environment. It's going to be very manageable for Ryan Holinsky and that offense and the rest of that team. But how does South Carolina respond going on the road? Obviously, again, you have a bye week. They lick your wounds, get ready for the Georgia Bulldogs. You know, you need all the time you can get when you're facing a team like a Georgia who is so loaded on both sides of the ball. But I'm just really curious to see how this South Carolina football team, how do they perform in a road game in a hostile environment? Because, again, you've looked so bad on the road to this point. Um, and Georgia, you know, by – well, I'm not going to say by far because obviously you played Alabama, but they're going to be right there with Bama in regards to best teams you've played this season. Um, you were able to, for a little bit, I guess you can say, hold your own against Alabama. And, again, you lost that game by 24 points. But you saw some flashes, some things you could be encouraged by. And South Carolina thought played with a lot of energy. They took a lot of risks in that football game. Do they keep that same mentality and that same mindset? And does this team come out ready to play in a big road game? Because, again, I don't think that's something that we have seen from this team yet in 2019. How do they respond going into a hostile environment, one of the more hostile environments in the SEC? It'll be really interesting, I think, to keep an eye on that. Uh, my second big storyline. The line of scrimmage. I know that's really generic. That's really bland. But this is going to be a line of scrimmage football game. As much as any football game South Carolina plays on this 2019 schedule, Georgia's identity is they want to run the football. They've got a great running back in DeAndre Swift. They've got other guys behind him that can carry the rock as well. Georgia's always loaded that position. Um, But this is a perfect example and a classic example of the team that can run the football and the team that can stop the run wins football games. And you look at even the game last year. We knew – I feel like every year South Carolina plays Georgia, that is the key. Their identity is still running the football. I mean, Jake Fromm has only thrown eight touchdowns this season. He's not had to throw the ball a bunch. He has not thrown any interceptions. 77% completion percentage. Jake Fromm, not a guy who's had to really put the ball in harm's way. This is going to be a line of scrimmage game once again. South Carolina has been really good on on the defensive front. Javon Kinlaw, Aaron Sterling, DJ Wanham, we all know about their numbers, especially the sack numbers, but they've been really good in the run game as well. South Carolina obviously uh, averaging 6.1 yards per carry on the ground as a team, which is really, really good. I think any South Carolina fan would have taken that. Obviously, Rico Dowdle has been a different player this year. Tavian Feaster has been a nice addition. The Gamecocks coming off that huge rushing game against Kentucky. But Georgia's a different animal. So, again, to me, it's, it's all going to be about – the line of scrimmage in this game can South Carolina win at the point of attack and they even hold their own at the point of attack offensively and defensively that's really going to determine this football game in my opinion um 
My next big storyline, Ryan Holinsky gets another shot. And you're probably asking yourself, what do you mean by that? Well, the last time we saw Ryan Holinsky on the road, it was not good. This entire South Carolina team was not good, but he was not good either. At Missouri, again, I know there were some things going around. His health, you know, injury status, I think his arm was probably sore in that when he did not look like himself. And really every other game that Ryan Holinsky's played has looked much, much, much better and looked more like himself, like I said. But I'll be intrigued just to see Ryan Holinsky, again, getting another chance to go into a hostile road environment, play his best football. How does he perform on the big stage? Because, again, there's, it's, it's one thing to, you know, play Alabama at home. It's one thing to play at Mizzou. It's one thing to play at night at Williams-Brice. But going on the road to Georgia, a big-time environment. I know a place that he visited while he was in high school. He's, very, he's probably very familiar with it. But I'll be interested to see the play of Ryan Holinsky because, again, I don't think this is a game where you can go out and you can ask Ryan Holinsky to throw the ball 35, 40, 50 times like you did against Alabama and expect to have any shot in this football game. But Ryan Holinsky's going to have to play well. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. He's going to have to play well to give South Carolina a chance in this game. I think South Carolina's probably going to have to take some deep shots, try to hit some shots. Um, you know, you think with those big-time wide receivers you've got with Brian Edwards and Shai Smith, guys like Ortre, Josh Van, somebody's going to step up and make a play in the passing game. But Ryan Holinsky is going to have to do a really, really good job of taking care of the football, not necessarily being a game manager, but kind of what he did against Kentucky, taking care of the football, not putting it in harm's way, and you have to hope that the running game can pick up the slack otherwise. Because, you know, again – if the Ryan Holinsky we saw at Mizzou comes out against Georgia, this game will be over by halftime. I mean, there's just no question in my mind. So, I'll be interested to see, you know, how Ryan Holinsky reacts to, again, going on the road. It'll be a big-time atmosphere, big-time opportunity for him. How does Ryan Holinsky in his second opportunity in a road start, how does he perform? Um, another big storyline in this one, obviously, you always have to talk about when these two guys face off, but Will Muschamp against Kirby Smart. I think that's obviously something kind of a, uh, a smaller storyline, if you will, but those two guys obviously coming up in the coaching ranks together. Um, you know, it's funny. I talked about this before, but in the spring, Will Muschamp told me there's nothing like getting your ass kicked by your best friends. And he, he was definitely talking about Kirby Smart when he said that. So, um, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of a weird dynamic because South kind of went after both these guys. Obviously, they got Will Muschamp, not Kirby Smart. Um, two defensive-minded guys, two guys that I think that I think honestly do have similar philosophies. I think just what you're seeing with Kirby Smart is he just has much better players. I don't, I don't think it's – you know, I don't think they're that much different of coaches, to be honest with you. Like, I, I, you know, and I'm not knocking Kirby in any way. I just – I don't think their philosophies are all that different. Um, but anytime those those two guys square off, two defensive-minded guys, you know, it's got a chance to be a very interesting game. So, I'll be interested to see kind of what the game plans are from both those head coaches. Uh, another big storyline for me personally, and I, I think this is one that Gamecock fans will agree with, this, in my opinion, is the beginning of a very, 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 very crucial stretch for this football team. Um, very crucial stretch. You know, you come in this game right now, you're two and three overall in the season, coming off a of bye week. Georgia's five and zero, oh, but for your football team, you're two and three. And no, no, but listen, nobody's expecting South Carolina to win this football game on Saturday. I don't think you're. I don't think there's anyone reasonable going in this game expecting South Carolina to get the win. We obviously see the spread, twenty four and a half. It's a big spread. Uh, we get it. It would be a massive, massive upset. But I talked about in the preseason, I thought this three-game stretch upcoming with, upcoming with Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee, I think that's the biggest three-game stretch of this entire 2019 season. I, I will reiterate and tell you why. Because this South Carolina football program, listen, you beat Kentucky, which you had to do. We I talked about before the season, you had to beat Kentucky. 
But where is this program in regards to the SEC East pecking order? You already lost to Missouri. So that's, that's, a, that, that's an X on your mark. That, that's not a good thing, obviously. But I talked about in the preseason, where is this South Carolina program in regards to the SEC East pecking order? And I think this three-game stretch is really going to tell you where South Carolina sits right now. Because, you again, Georgia, Florida at home, at Tennessee. Obviously, the Gamecocks are going to be underdogs in two of, the, two of those three games. We're already in one. They're going to be an underdog to Florida, and they probably will be a slight favorite at Tennessee. I, a favorite, probably a touchdown favorite. Um, but I don't know. I just think, to me, this three-game stretch is going to tell you a lot of where South Carolina currently sits as a program in regards to that SEC East pecking order. Again, I, I know it's kind of a – maybe it's an unfair thing to say right now because you do have a true freshman quarterback, and they're just – there are different circumstances, but I think it's a big-time stretch. And obviously, this stretch upcoming is going to be big if you're going to make even sniff making a bowl game. Um, you know, South Carolina, say what you want. Obviously, the spread is huge with the Gamecocks. Get another huge opportunity on Saturday to take down one of the best in the country, to go toe-to-toe one of the best in the country, and really measure themselves as a program. See if they've gotten any better since week three. See, see how this team has improved going into week seven of the season. Um, so, to me, again, I, I think it's a very crucial stretch upcoming, and it starts with South Carolina going out on Saturday and putting together a solid performance against the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, another big storyline, the health of Rico Dowdle. You know, I talked about, listen, they said he's healthy. What does that really mean? We don't know. We've heard guys are healthy before. Rico Dowdle, it's, it, he has to be healthy for Saturday. It, it would be a huge, huge blow to not have one of your two backs ready to go against the Georgia Bulldogs team that you need to run the football against. Um, and, you know, here's the thing. They can say he's healthy, but we've seen Rico Dowdle healthy, quote-unquote, but not 100%, and it's a different player. And that's the one thing I think going this game that worries me just a little bit is that I think one of the reasons Rico has been so good this year is because he has been 100%. He has been fully healthy. Now coming off that ankle, can he do everything he was doing before? Is he going to change up his running style? You hope not because, again, he was having such a great year, and it's going to be extremely unfortunate if that's the case. But I think the health of Rico Dowdle is a huge storyline in this one. It's something that South Carolina fans need to keep a really, really, really close eye on uh, as that game gets going on Saturday. Uh, My final storyline in this one, I already kind of touched on a little bit, but you get another big opportunity here. I mean, the Gamecocks, you knew coming in this season, you had three opportunities to go up against three of the best teams in the country. And right now in the AP poll, Alabama is one, Clemson is two, and Georgia is three. Um, You know, you'll have one more opportunity after this, obviously, but – how does South Carolina respond? Because, you know, I think a lot of people were very optimistic after the Alabama game. And, you know, you guys saw what I said. I, I was less than thrilled, and I think some people took offense to that. But at what point are we going to see this game Cox football team sort of break out and take someone to the brink that maybe they're not supposed to? Listen, I'm not saying against South Carolina should win this football game or that it should even be a touchdown game. But can South Carolina really make this a fourth-quarter game? Can they make Georgia sweat and get this game into the fourth quarter and make it a competitive football game deep in the game. Um, Again, all you can do as a team and as a program is ask for these type of opportunities, for these chances to go against the best in the country and measure yourself, and measure yourself against the best. How does South Carolina – what do they do with this opportunity? How do they make the most of the opportunity? Do they go out and lay an egg and get blown out? Or do we see a South Carolina team that comes out aggressive, inspired, ready to play off the bye week, fresh, ready to go, and gives Georgia all it can handle for four quarters. You have that opportunity, now it's up to the guys on the field to do it. So I think it'll be really, really interesting to see how South Carolina handles, uh, handles the opportunity on Saturday. Um, 
All right, let's get into some key matchups to watch here. My first key matchup to watch. It's going to start in the line of scrimmage, and that's going to be a huge, uh, a huge theme here, talking about key matchups. The first one is going to be defensive, defensive lineman Javon Kinlaw against left guard Solomon Kinley. Uh, Javon Kinlaw, a name you just cannot go without talking about. Javon has been absolutely phenomenal this year, rushing the passer, stopping the run. I think he's fully solidified himself right now as a first-round NFL draft pick. But Solomon Kinley, a guy, when you take a look at the stat sheet, really just the measurables, when you take a look at him, I'm looking right here, 6'4", 335. And this Georgia offensive line is big across the board. I mean, these dudes are big as hell. They're big across the boards. I mean, you could have picked really any offensive lineman for this matchup, but really Javon Kinlaw against Kinley being on the inside, he's going to need to be a run stopper. He's going to need to get in uh, Jake Fromm's face whenever they pass the football. Georgia, again, loves to run the football. They're going to try to give it to DeAndre Swift, and I think wear down the South kind of defense. Can Javon Kinlaw be that disruptor? Again, not just in the running game, but in the passing game as well, because Jake Fromm has been phenomenal this year. I expect them to mix it up, do some play action, Throw it around a little bit. Can Javon Kinlaw be the leader on that defensive front? Because, you know, it's kind of funny. I talked in the preseason. I thought the reason Javon Kinlaw would be so much better is because he would have all this help around him. You know, he's going to have all this help, other guys. Step up. I think the defensive line has been better because Javon Kinlaw has taken his game to another level. I mean, I'm not saying the other guys aren't playing better around him. Don't get me wrong. But Javon Kinlaw, to me, has been the leader of this unit. There is no question in my mind. This unit would not – I don't know if guy, a guy like Aaron Sterling, for example, is having the type of year he's having if Javon Kinlaw isn't going beast mode the way he is. I, I just – I don't know. So, again, Javon Kinlaw against Solomon Kinley, I think that's a huge matchup in this football game, stopping the run, being a disruptor in the passing game. Javon Kinlaw really going to need to have one of his best games that he's had thus far this season. Um, on the other side of the line of scrimmage, another key matchup to watch here – but on the other side of the line of scrimmage, offensive lineman Sidarius Hutcherson for the Gamecocks against defensive tackle Tyler Clark. Tyler Clark, a guy, um, if you've been following this Georgia football program at all, I feel like if you've watched Georgia at all over the last five years, it feels like this dude has been here. 6'4", 300, uh, a dominant presence on the, on the front for Georgia. He's a run stopper. He's got two and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks thus far this season. A guy that is is in, in his own right a disruptor, a guy who I fully expect, again, to be a first or second round draft pick. Sedarius Hutchison, one of your best offensive linemen on the interior. Uh, again, I, I think the Gamecocks, I talked about the the mentality and the identity, if you will, after the Kentucky game and how I want to see South Carolina stick to that. Well, to stick to that, you're going to have to have great blocking up front. It starts with guys like Donnell Stanley, like Sedarius Hutchison, like Jalen Nichols, these other guys up front. I mean, it's really going to come down to that. So, Eric Douglas, um, you, you know, you've got to be able to win the line of scrimmage. Sedarius Hutchinson, a guy is one of your leaders. Um, again, Tyler Clark, they have other guys up on the defensive front too, but Tyler Clark is the first name that you're going to see that is going to be a guy that's going to be in the backfield or could be in the backfield a lot. Gamecocks need to do everything they can to limit him. And, again, because you're going to have to have success in the run game to make this a competitive football game. There's just no way South Carolina can go into Athens and not run the football with success and this game be even a – 21-point game in the third quarter. I just – I don't see it. You're going to have to have success running the football. And, again, it starts with your guys up front like a Sedarius Hutcherson. Um, so, again, Sedarius Hutcherson against Tyler Clark, my second big key matchup to watch in Saturday's game. My final key matchup uh, involves coaches. Offensive coordinator Brian McClendon against head coach Kirby Smart and co-defensive coordinator Glenn Schumann. Obviously, Kirby, a former defensive coordinator in his own right, uh, knows defense in and out just like Will Muschamp does, and obviously Glenn Schumann, his, his co-defensive coordinator. 
Um, I think this is a huge matchup. I, I am in really, really interested to see what type of scheme and what type of plan Brian McClendon and this offensive staff get ready for the Georgia Bulldogs. Because like I've talked about, I want to see this team come out and stick to the identity it had against Kentucky. Even if it does not work early on, have an identity. Know who you are. You want to be physical. You want to win at the point of attack. And you want to run the football. Does this team abandon the run early on and, you know, put it all on Ryan Helinski and try to throw it 50 times? Or do they get stingy with the run and stick to the running game and keep, you know, get – because I think, again, I, even in this game, I would say your backs like Tavian Feaster, Rico Della, those guys need to touch it 12 to 15 times each on Saturday, each. I, they just have to. They absolutely have to. So what type of game plan does Brian McClendon come up with? Because, again, this is going to be a chess match between these coaching staffs. Kirby Smart and Glenn Schumann, their defense is very good. These are guys that know the defensive game. They're going to have a good game plan ready for South Carolina. I expect them to bring a lot of pressure on Ryan Helinski um, and, you know, play man-to-man on the outside and try to stop the run. But I think really – I think Georgia's going to want to make Ryan Helinski make throws under pressure, no questions asked. How does South Carolina combat that? And what do they do in the running game to make sure they are successful? How creative do they get to the running game? Uh, do we see some counter plays? Do we see some draws? Do we see some screens? What does Brian McClendon dial up? So, again, I'll be very interested to see that. So, again, my key matchups, defensive lineman Javon Kinlaw against left guard Solomon Kinley, offensive lineman Sidarius Hutchinson against defensive tackle Tyler Clark, and offensive coordinator Brian McClendon against head coach Kirby Smart. Um, let's get into the keys to the game for this one on Saturday. My three keys to the game that I think South Carolina is going to have to execute to a T to have an opportunity to pull a massive, massive upset on Saturday. My first one is simple, shorten the game. Um, shorten the game. Some of you may be asking, what do you mean by shorten the game? South Carolina needs to put together long, sustainable drives, even if they don't result in points, have you? They need to put together long, sustainable drives. And, again, that can only happen if you run the football. The more often you can keep Jake Fromm and DeAndre Swift and that offense off the field, the better you're going to do. Because, again, like I said, shorten the game. It's going to make it where you're getting this more into a third quarter, maybe even a fourth quarter type football game. Limit the possessions that Georgia has. You're going to give yourself the best possible opportunity to keep this football game close. Um, and, again, the only way that can happen is if you can, if you can run the football. You have to be able to run the football and just move the chains, you know, and have a good offensive game plan. So, to me, shorten the game. Make this a fourth-quarter game. Do whatever you got to do to make this a fourth-quarter game. Um, my second key to the game, weather the storm. Listen, a lot of people have been saying, hey, it's a noon kickoff at Sanford. It won't be that crazy. I call bullshit. I think it's going to be a raucous environment. Georgia's going to come wanting to beat the living hell out of South Carolina. Uh, you know, it's funny. Georgia fans say this is not a rivalry, but Georgia absolutely despises South Carolina. So I think Georgia fans will come out ready. They're going to come out loud. If you're the Gamecocks, if you're Ryan Linsky, it's going to be crazy to start. Weather the storm. You can't win the game in the first quarter, but you can lose it. Do not get panicked. Stay calm. Whatever happens early on, there's probably going to be some stuff happen that doesn't go your way. Stay calm. Stay calm. Do everything you can to just play your game. Take the crowd out of it. An early score would be huge for South Carolina in this football game to take the crowd out. But weather the storm. Just weather the storm in this one. And play ball. I mean, it really, that's all you can say. Again, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you just don't want to see a South Carolina team come out, one thing not go their way, and all of a sudden we hit the panic button. So, whether the storm to me is going to be a big one. And then my final key to the game, honestly, <clears throat> let it all hang out. <laughs> hey, man, what do you got to lose? You're a 24-and-a-half-point underdog. You're not expected to win. South Carolina, your own fans aren't even really expecting you to win. 
let it all hang out. I, I loved the game plan South Carolina had against Alabama when they really were aggressive. I thought that was the most aggressive type play calling and the most aggressive game plan we've ever seen from Will Muschamp in South Carolina. I'd love to see something similar in this one. Again, I'm not saying go out there and go for every fourth down, throw Hail Marys, and do stuff that's stupid that's going to get you out of the football game. But again, copy what you did against Alabama and take it to this Georgia game because I love the aggressive mindset. Play like you have nothing to lose because you don't. You don't have anything to lose. Again, nobody's expecting you to win this football game. You're almost a four-touchdown underdog in Vegas. Why not? Call up some trick plays. I love doing like a fake field goal, fake punt like you did against Alabama. Just let it all hang out, man. I mean, why not? Again, you have nothing to lose. Be aggressive. Be the team that's wanting to throw that first punch and just kind of see what happens. Let the chips fall where they may. Um, so, again, my key is the game. Shorten the game, weather the storm, and let it all hang out. Now, time for my prediction. My prediction for Saturday's game. You know, coming to this one again, South Carolina, 24-and-a-half-point underdog. And whether you believe in Vegas or not, that is a huge spread. Uh, that is a huge spread. I talked about my – I did the best bet on Tuesday. I think South Carolina plus 24-and-a-half. Uh, I think 24-and-a-half is just way, 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 way too much. It feels like too much. And I'm not saying that South Carolina is some great team right now. Because, I, again, I don't know anything about this team. I think South Carolina be the bad Kentucky team. Not trying to take away a bunch from them, but let's call a spade a spade. Kentucky's a bad football team. And I think that's probably what Vegas is seeing as well. But, you know, coming into this game, you know, South Carolina, I talked about, has another huge opportunity, an opportunity to go on the road, um, to make a good impression, to come out of the bye week sharp, and to maybe give fans some hope and optimism and let the rest of the SEC know that South Carolina's not just going to be an easy game they can overlook the second half of their schedule. Um, Georgia, obviously, with national championship aspirations. South Carolina, they're looking at them as more of a minor road bump, I guess you could say, in their schedule. Um, this South Carolina-Georgia game, this rivalry, it always seems to be a close game um, with last year, I thought, really being the outlier. You know, South Carolina, 17-10 ball game at half, but Georgia really was able to run away with that football game. Gamecocks were just outman on the defensive front. I don't think we're much going to see that happen again. I think the Gamecocks have got depth up front. Um, I do have Georgia winning this football game. You know, I, I want to believe South Carolina is going to put up a good fight in this one. I really do. And the reason I say that, I think this is going to be South Carolina's best opportunity against one of the big three, speaking of Bama, Georgia, and Clemson, to make it a fourth quarter game. Because unlike Bama and Clemson, Georgia's not a team that really is known for is going to come out and you know, throw it around 50 times and has these crazy playmakers on the outside. You know, Georgia, you know what they're going to do. They're going to try to run the football. They're going to give it to Swift. Obviously, they, they're very good in play action. Jake Fromm's a great quarterback. I'm not taking anything away from him, but that game's just not really their MO. Um, so when I talked about key to the game, shortening the game, Georgia's going to do that as well. I mean, if you can stop the run, Georgia's going to do that as well because they're going to run the football. Um, so, I think that gives South Carolina the opportunity to make this game closer than probably any of the others they're going to play against those other two big opponents. Um, I think you could probably see it being a 14-point game going to the fourth quarter, but I think Georgia will pull away. Um, I've got the final score, Georgia 38, South Carolina 20. So I've got an 18-point game, um, which, again, I, I don't know how South Carolina fans would feel about it. Obviously, it just depends on how the game goes. I think most – I think most would probably see it as a decent success if you can if you can see some progress. But I don't know. I just think the style of play with Georgia does give South Carolina the opportunity to keep this one close and make this a fourth quarter game. I'm not saying South Carolina is going to win. 
you know, I, I think it could be something where it's 38 to 13 and South Carolina scores a late garbage touchdown. I, I'm not saying that's not possible. And Georgia is the much more superior, you know, vastly superior talent wise. Uh, obviously, they're rolling right now, five and zero, number three in the country. You can't debate that. But I, I just, from what I've seen from the Gamecocks defensive line. And if Ryan Holinsky can be fully healthy, which he, he is, as far as we know, he's fully healthy, ready to go. And South Carolina, if they can come out and establish their identity and lean on those two backs, I think South Carolina will have the opportunity again to make this a fourth quarter game. Um, but I've got the Bulldogs winning this one 38 to 20. Um, not a close game by any means, an 18 point win for Georgia. But, you know, I think maybe this game goes a little differently than some of the. Uh, quote-unquote experts think. I don't think this is a game where it's 45 nothing at halftime by any means. I think South Carolina does give Georgia some fits, not a ton, but some fits throughout this game. And, uh, you know, I think maybe we see some encouraging signs heading into the second half of the season. Um, all right, so that's my prediction, 38-20 Georgia. Let's get into the listener questions. We have one voicemail and then a ton of listener questions. So, going to go ahead and jump into these. What's up, man? Uh, my name is Zach. I go to USC. Uh, Long-time fan of the Gamecocks. I love your show, man. I just want to express my uh, thoughts on the Georgia game this weekend, see if I can sway your opinion a little bit. I know you're going to predict Georgia, but this is what I said to my friend a few minutes ago. What I said was, uh, despite the evidence of the past of Muschamp, I still really believe we have a chance this weekend. If I had to assign a number, 15%. 15, not 50, 15. We're coming off a bye week, which is huge. Georgia hasn't lost yet, so every week further in the season statistically increases their chances to lose, in my opinion. It's an early game, so Georgia players won't be hyped up, and they most likely will be overlooking us. The early game also means less fans and less rowdy. Plus, must-champ offense after bye weeks is something to note. In 2016, we play UMass after a bye week. 34 points, 400 yards of offense. Season averages were 20 points and 340 yards. 2017, we played Vanderbilt, 34 points, 390 yards. Season averages, 24 and 337. 2018, we played Vanderbilt after uh, what was supposed to be the Marshall game, so I'm counting that as the bye week, uh, 37 points and 530 yards. And then we played Tennessee later in the year, 27 points and 380 yards. And the season averages were 30 and 426. And sure, maybe you can look at that and say we didn't play anyone ranked or good, but there have been plenty of times much champ teams haven't played ranked or good opponents and completely shit the bet offensively. So it's a bit irrelevant, honestly, who it was against. In fact, if we were to look back at every game, I'm willing to bet we would consider that we underperformed offensively in over 50% of the games against unranked opponents. So in my opinion, saying the competition is the reason we had success in the game following the bye week is a flawed argument. If I was a neutral fan, I'd say 34-20 Georgia, but I'm a Gamecock. It's a 31-7 cop. Thanks, man. Love the show again, man. Uh, thanks for Friday. Do keep doing it, man. All right, Zach. Appreciate the voicemail, man. Really good stuff. That was very, hey, that was uh, that that was good stuff, man. Very well thought out, researched. I like it. I like all the research. I like all the stats coming off the bye weeks. And listen, I, I mean, I'll tell you. You obviously heard my prediction, 38-20. I think it's a very you know. Like you said, a neutral fan would say it's 34 to 20. Obviously, I'm a Gamecock, but for my trying to my realistic side of things, I'm keeping it 38 to 20 Georgia. But I mean, I will tell you this, and I don't know why I feel this way, but you know, I feel worlds better about this game than I did Alabama. I mean, worlds better. And this game's on the road. So 
you know, again, I'm trying to keep it realistic right now. I'm trying to keep my wits about me and, you know, realize the competition we're playing. And again, I'm picking 38-20. It's not like I'm picking South Carolina to win the football game. But I do hear what you're saying. I mean, anytime your team is coming off a bye week and their team, um, you know, had a game, you know, it's – it's it's something to keep an eye on. It is something – it's an interesting dynamic, if you will. Um, See, so, you know, I, I, I think South Carolina has at least got that going for them. I think it will be – you know, listen, there's just certain things South Carolina has to do, and um, they've got to get creative. They've got to be aggressive, similar to how they were against Alabama. But, again, the style of play with Georgia – I mean, if South Carolina can get a great game out of their defensive front, Javon Kinlaw, Sterling Wana, if they can get a decent game out of their linebackers, I think they need to sell out against the run defensively. I think that's – if I was Will Muschamp and T-Rob, my defensive game plan is, listen, we know Jake Fromm is great, but we cannot allow Georgia to get 6-7 a pop on the ground. It, that's, it's, it's just demoralizing when the team you're playing can get 6 or 7 a pop on the ground against you. That, that's – you know, it really is. Um, so, I mean, listen, I, I like it. I like all your stats. I like your reasons for optimism, and I think they're valid. I think they're valid reasons for optimism. Again, I got Georgia 38-20, to 20, but I don't know why. I don't know what's telling me this. But for whatever reason, I feel 10 times better than I can, did for the Alabama game. That's all I'm going to say. So, all right, let's get into these other questions here. Uh, Grayson underscore Foster 13. What are the chances this weekend? You know, Zach, I kind of like what Zach said. I like about 15%. I'd say 15%. Um, ben Smitty, 2017, are we good enough to stop Swift and Zeus? We don't have to be good enough to stop them. We have to contain them. We have to at least somewhat contain them. Listen, those guys are really, really good. They're going to get their yards. But the Gamecocks, Javon Kinlaw, again, like I already said, they're going to have to do everything in their power to limit that running game. They're going to have to. Um, so I don't know about good enough to stop them, but to limit them, we'll see. We will see. Um, Clark SP 34 stats versus Georgia for Brian shy, Ryan, uh, Rico and feaster. Sorry for so many. Love your takes. Uh, Brian four catches for 79 yards shy, two catches for 40 yards. I don't know. Ryan Holinsky probably 17 for 24 for 187 yards. Rico and feaster combined. 100, 148 yards rushing. I, I don't know. Dude, that's really tough to predict. Predict uh, Really tough to predict uh, stats. So, my bad. But appreciate it, Clark. Uh, Bledsoe, twelve eighteen. Do we cover the spread against Georgia? Yes, I think plus 24 and a half is an easy bet. Take South Carolina. Scott W. Lawson, If just for fun, if South Carolina miraculously pulled off the upset, what things would have to happen? Well, in a game like this, if you're going to pull a huge upset – you need to win the turnover battle. You need to get some big-time, game-changing turnovers. That's the first thing. Second thing, South Carolina's going to have to win the line of scrimmage. That, that's a huge thing that's going to have to happen. And a third thing, Ryan Lindsey's going to have to play by far the best game of his career. Because I talk about you don't want to put it all on Ryan, but if you're going to pull the upset, Ryan Linsky's going to have to ball out. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. Because teams – you know, it's funny. You look around college football, teams that maybe aren't as good as other teams, if they have really, really, really good quarterback play, that sometimes evens the playing field. So – if Ryan Linsky can have the game of his life, changes the whole dynamic on Saturday. Um, Tammers, let's just get out of Athens healthy. Maybe a W. Um, definitely need to get out of there healthy. And that, that's 
this is going to be a physical game, but you need to find a way to get out of Athens, uh, get out of Athens healthy, no doubt. Um, more questions here. Nate C04, do you think this will be an offensive or defensive game? I think kind of a mix. You know, I don't think it's going to be a shootout, but I don't think it's going to be a 17 to 10 type of game either. So I think it'll be kind of a mix. Um, Little Duck Hunter 711, Carolina's crap, go dogs. I agree. Uh, Jimmy.james.76, F Georgia. Uh, Jillian.dequatro beat Georgia for sure. Uh, Liam underscore Shup destroyed Georgia. Shay Holt 04, surprisingly, Uncle Lou hasn't done his hype and hate for us yet. Yeah, I'm surprised. I haven't seen a lot from Uncle Lou this week. I've been kind of surprised. Um, Mac Birch underscore, you're going to heaven, hopefully. Well, thank you. I, I believe I am. I'm a Christian, so hopefully I am. Um, let's see. Fantavious, THWG, which stands for to hell with Georgia. Damn right, to hell with Georgia. Um, I think that is going to do it as far as questions are concerned. And, yes, that is going to do it. So, appreciate all the questions, guys. Good stuff as always. Again, I've got Georgia 38-20. to 20. Fingers crossed the Gamecocks can pull the upset, but i got Georgia 38-20. to 20. Um, All right, got a fantastic interview. Um, switching up, obviously, we're in the middle of football season, but, you know, I love bringing on the baseball guests. Former Gamecocks catcher Robert Berry. Fantastic conversation. You know, it's awesome. I mean, anytime you can talk to these guys that were on those national title teams, it is a blast. I mean, so many cool stories, so many great – Ray Tanner stories and just, I mean, unlimited amount of great memories. I mean, Robert Berry, a guy who was fortunate enough coming out of JUCO, played at South Carolina for two years, won two national titles. I mean, what more can you ask for? So, phenomenal interview. Please be sure to stay tuned for that. And it's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. You guys hear me talking about them a lot. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only ticket buying app I use and the only one I'd recommend. Uh, guys, you're probably hearing this the day of, but the Braves are in the playoffs right now. Fingers crossed they're going to win, NL, uh, win the NLDS game five on Wednesday afternoon. If you are hearing this and you are going to that game, especially if you're going to that game, but any other South Carolina sporting event as well. Um, but I know a lot of the fans that listen to this show, South Carolina fans, are Braves fans. If you're going to any Braves playoff games, download the SeatGeek app, go to SeatGeek.com, use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase. Again, it doesn't just have to be Braves games. Obviously, any South Carolina game, college football game, sporting event, uh, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, concerts, comedy club events. Obviously, this is a great time for sports in the month of October and moving forward. Um, so if you need tickets to literally anything and everything, it doesn't have to be sports, like I said. Uh, they've actually got a great ticket rating system where they'll rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So you know exactly what you're getting before you click that buy button. You know if you're getting a steal. You know if you're getting ripped off. They do all the work for you, and they really give you that peace of mind before you click the buy button. So, again, that's our friends over at SeatGeek. Go down to the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks catcher Robert Berry. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up Show is a man that played for Gamecocks baseball from 2010 to 2011. He's a two-time national champion with the Gamecocks. Over his career, hit 285 career average, four home runs, 49 RBIs. He was also the 2011 NCAA Columbia Regional MVP and made the all-tournament team where he finished with five hits, a double, a triple, and a grand slam, including five RBIs in three games for South Carolina. He currently works for the police department back in his hometown. I'm pleased to welcome the show, former Gamecocks catcher Robert Berry. Robert, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Well, I'm glad to be here. I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to get on here and reach out to my Carolina family back in South Carolina. 
Absolutely. So uh, let's start from the beginning for you, Robert, because like we were talking off air, you're a guy that went the junior college route. Obviously, a lot of guys do that. Um, a highly re regarded prospect out of the state of Florida. Uh, talk about just, you know, you went to Pensacola Junior College. Why the JUCO route for you? Was it you know, What were the offers like for you out of high school, and what made you want to go the JUCO route? Um, well, I was a multi-sport athlete in high school, played football, soccer, and baseball. And um, I didn't, you know, like growing up this day and age, you see a lot of these kids, most of them don't even play, you know, actual little league and it's all AAU and travel ball and, mm. um, you know, playing on the week every weekend during the summer and going to showcases and, and things like that. Like, but when I was in high school, it, it was big, but it wasn't as, as uh, prevalent as now when it comes to recruiting. Um, so, like, during the summer, I was in, you know, in football mode. I was getting ready for the fall. and We were in the gym under the stadium at, you know, 100-degree heat and humidity in Florida. So, you can only guess what that was like um, with about, you know, 80 bodies in one place. Um, so, I was just – I just didn't play a lot of travel ball. So coming out of, you know, playing high school uh, baseball in the spring, you know, I, I, you would have some scouts there that would, you know, play there to, you know, maybe watch a, a pitcher or something from the other team or so, you know, I had some scouts there, but I just didn't play enough travel ball to really have my name out there for the recruiting. Um, I was supposed to go to uh university of West Florida. Um, and, you know, things work out for a reason. Didn't do very well on the SAT. Didn't get into the school. But the coach from the West Florida uh, let Pensacola know, hey, we got this guy. We want to keep him close. Um, maybe give him a couple years, then try to bring him back. Well, I ended up, you know, just doing a one-on-one -on -one showcase for the coach there. And they needed a second baseman. They had one scholarship for me. And there, he liked what he saw. My, I guess my, my frame. And he goes, all right, you're in. Um, so left for Pensacola. Um, didn't do well in the fall. I got to remember that. Just didn't really get a feel for the the whole college life, and didn't do well. Just didn't hit, you know, my my best. And uh, came to the spring actually started off at Indian River in South Florida, closer towards, I think, I think it's closer towards Hollywood, Florida and stuff. Um, had a really great start to my college career that first week. Um, hit my, hit a home run. It was like, I think I was like 10 or 12 for 14 or something like that and was player of the week in Florida when it comes to RBIs and home runs and um, stuff like that. So that, and then at that point, I, I can remember at that point, it was just on the whole year. I think, uh, you know, it was just one of those years you just have so much luck and everything going your way. And, um, you know, I felt like you probably could have thrown a BB at me at 80 <laughs> miles an hour. I could have hit it. Yeah, I was so, going to say, you set the single-season school record with uh, 16 homers, 76 RBIs, and you hit 426. So I'd, I'd say you turned it around pretty well that first year. <laughs> yeah, you know, and being in that kind of uh, a zone for 
majority of the year, really. I don't really remember just having an off, you know, any kind of slump that year. It was it's a lot of fun, you know, when you, you know, when you finally focus on one, uh, on one sport and, you know, really can, you know, get the hang of being just, just a baseball player. Um, it was just a lot of fun, you know, I, it, you know, there was a times I was just thinking back or while I was there, some of my teammates were just, you know, praising and, and, and give me, you know, you're a good baseball player. Tell me you're a good baseball player. I was like, you know what? I, I look back, I'm thinking, you know, I knew I was, I was a good athlete and I was a good baseball player in high school, but you know, that's just high school. And then you get to college and you're playing Juco and against, you know, a lot better talent and you're still excelling. And it's like, oh, maybe I am a pretty good baseball player, but um, it was just, you know, it's a lot of fun. You know, you don't, you having that kind of success in a year is just, it's fun to look back on and, you know, my goal, I always told myself, I wanted to do everything you can do in baseball. I wanted to be able to, I wanted to hit a grand slam in my career. I wanted to hit for the cycle in my career. I wanted to hit, you know, two or more home runs in my career. I just wanted to do it all just to have that feeling and be able to talk about it. And I ended up doing most of that that year. And then I think I hit a cycle in my senior year. Or I think I might've hit one in, my freshman year in college too so it's just stuff you just you know you want to do within your career so no doubt so, so I was gonna say you know obviously you tear up junior college um when did the calls start coming from bigger schools I mean obviously South Carolina was in there but um you know the numbers you put up obviously I imagine uh without a doubt the the, the calls started coming from some of the division one schools that I imagine all around the state of Florida and South Carolina took notice I mean talk about the the recruiting process once you're at the junior college level and, you know, when did South Carolina come into play and what eventually led you to, to choose South Carolina and become a Gamecock? Yeah. Well, going back into high school, I actually did a hitting camp or Ray Tanner's hitting camp. I think my junior year, sophomore, junior year came, I came up for a, a went during Christmas break. That's when it was. And we hit in the, uh, the old soccer football facility. I can't remember the indoor facility right, right there by the soccer mm -hmm. field we that's where it was and uh I think coach Tanner pulled me and a couple other guys that I think Adam Matthews was there I remember watching him running uh, a 60 yard dash and was just blown away by his speed <laughs> um I think he pulled a few of us just because I don't know they selected us out of the group and wanted to you know do a little showcase down at the baseball field our Sarge Fry. That was my only time I got to be around Sarge Fry. Um, but out of high school, I wanted to go to South Carolina. I actually was very interested in it. And, uh, um, you know, I, I have a lot of family history in South Carolina when it comes to the missionaries and my on my mom's side of things. And I just, I like South Carolina. I, and, but I didn't get any offers at that from that uh, showcase and, um went to, like you know gone to Pensacola and did well that summer um I got a call to play for uh, the Juco USA team which um Brock Holt was on Brock Holt plays with mm. with Jackie Bradley with the Red Sox and we played a, a few game series against the Chinese Taipei national team and um 
I think we had a rain delay the first game. And so we ended up finishing the first part of that game the next day. And I think I then throughout the day, I went five for seven with a three run bomb with a wooden bat at the old, uh, um, Olympic USA Olympic stadium in Tennessee. So, and I think there was a Oklahoma coach Hino from Oklahoma state was in the stands and maybe a couple of others. Um, and as I was walking out, my mom was there in Tennessee with me. And as we were walking out to go back to the hotel, um, he came up to me and was like, I want you to sign right now. And that was pretty much the start of major schools. Um, starting the recruiting process and then after that I, I every week a new coach would call so uh it, you know and it's a lot of fun it's definitely it was it's definitely a neat experience that you can use in the business world or you know outside of or you know if you're a coach and it's neat to go through a uh a recruiting process like that where you're just highly recommended and wanted and um and it's like it like anything else it's school but it's also a business too you know mm. and uh south carolina called and i think it started off with coach um coach monty lee he called me first from south carolina and then like a week later i think coach calvi called me and uh, coach holbrook was on his way i think on his way in from north carolina so no, no, he was there. He was there. But Coach Calvi called me. He goes, uh, I know you talked to Coach Lee, and but he got the head coach's job at South Carolina. So now I'm calling, and probably Coach Holbrook will be calling you. I was like, okay. Um, so was talking to them. Um, coach Turtle Thomas, who was down at FIU, was highly recruiting me, uh, FAU. Uh, most of the East Coast schools, Florida, Florida, Florida State, um, you know, Oral Roberts, then Carl to Charleston, obviously with Coach Lee, and you know, had uh, had the opportunities. I took a couple visits, official visits. One to Oklahoma State was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed Oklahoma State. Um, came to South Carolina and that's when they, they, you know, they were in the process of building the stadium uh, during the time I was there. They didn't have any bleachers in it, but uh, the team was taking BP on the field. So I, you know, I got to get the gift of what it was going to be. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I've been to Florida, so I didn't, you know, really take an official there. I did a camp or showcase there and I was able to see the facilities and all that. And it just, you know, it, I like Florida. I grew up being a Gator fan and, you know, I would have liked to play there. But I noticed they just, you know, they just didn't have the atmosphere that South Carolina had, and, mm. you know, and hearing all the stories and stuff like that. Um, and and plus, out of high school, I just wanted to go to South Carolina. So I kept it under, under uh, lock and key for a little bit and, you know, kept talking to Coach Holbrook and Coach Calvi and Coach Tanner would call every now and then, and, you know, just kept them on their toes about things. And uh, North Carolina, right before I decided to call, North Carolina called me and wanted me to do an official visit. And I told, uh, and then Coach Holbrook called me and was like, and I told him, I was like, hey, I, you know, 
I want to go see North Carolina. And that was, they just got done with their three year stint of going to the world series. Mm -hmm. So obviously I was like, Oh, you know, I'd like to go. And they wanted me to come up. I think they wanted me to come up and catch. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know? So I told coach Holberg and he goes, Oh, you know, if you sign with me this week, you know, we'll give you an extra, you know, thousand dollars in your scholarship. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll <laughs> that'll do it. So, uh, you know, I played, I played a little hardball and, you know, got a little more, uh, extra money for school and it, it worked out. I, I would say, I think I, you know, any of the Juco guys that came in with me uh, made the right choice when they, uh, when they picked the school. So me, Morales and a couple others. So I think they, uh, you know, we look we look back and we kept saying when we see each other out and about in Columbia, we're just like you know, for a while we're like, wow, our scrubby looking selves look uh, won two national titles. You know, it's like Morales said it the best. He goes, you know, we won we won one and then we just did it again. It was no fluke. So. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say anytime you go two for two in the national title department, that's that's a pretty. Uh... That's a pretty solid career, without a doubt. So I, I wanted, yeah. <clears throat> you know, I wanted to ask Robert. You know, you you get on campus, obviously, fall of two thousand nine. Um, like you said, South Carolina has broken in Carolina Stadium at the time, or Founders Park, as it's known now. There's a lot of buzz around the program, and obviously, South Carolina has, you know, even at that point, had a really rich baseball tradition. But uh, you know, I, I know South Carolina that two thousand nine season was coming off a really, really tough year in which they went to East Carolina, lost in the regionals. I've talked to some other guys that were on that team and just how tough and heartbreaking that loss was. And um, going into that 2010 season, I mean, when you got there, was the expectation, you know, set to, I mean, I know with the South Carolina program, it's always to get to Omaha, but I mean, could you sense that things, that that was going to be a special season? I mean, was there anything that told you that that type of run that you guys had in 2010 uh, was coming that season? Um. Well, coming into South Carolina in the fall of 2009, I was coming off of uh, a wrist injury and surgery. I had to reconstruct my wrist from blocking the plate my sophomore year um, in Pensacola. Um, I played 34 straight games, caught all every game until my wrist exploded. So coming off of that injury, um, didn't play a lot of fall uh, scrimmages. I think I played maybe a couple weekends towards the the latter end of the of the fall season. Um, you know, I did the main focus obviously is to get my wrist and my arm and everything back into you know working order to to win a spot or and play in the spring. Um, I got the chance to start on opening day and it was you know super excited for all that and. Uh, you know, it was still getting the feel of playing, you know, playing in front of all these people that just scream and yell and have a good time. And, you know, it's it's surreal, really. It's it's so much fun. Um, I, I was playing left field. My first game was just, you know, you're, you feel like a big leaguer. It's, it's not – it's hard not to. You're playing in a big league stadium and you have thousands of people that are screaming and loving you just because you're a Carolina baseball player. Uh, so, you know, it, it we didn't we didn't we didn't start off super, you know, hot. I would say, uh, I think we won the first series, and I think the next series was ECU, and it was a grind or something. Then, 
we ended up dropping two there, I think. And, uh, and then Clemson and, and we dropped that series. So it was like, ah, but you know, we had a bunch of mature guys. We had, we were mature athletes when it comes to what we were doing on the field. And I'm going to keep it at that, what we were doing on the field. <laughs> um, we, uh, you know, guys like Morales and, and, and at the same time, well, there was a lot of us, we were, we were being played in different positions. Uh, I think beginning of the year, 2010, I played first base and never played first base in my life. And, and I think coach Tanner was the mastermind trying to just fit the puzzle pieces into where they needed to be. And, uh, and then once it, it was kind of set and people knew, you know, every day what they were going to do, because for a lot of, especially for like me, like being a, you know, multi-position athlete, I was, you know, I got a little frustrated just because I didn't know where I was, if I was going to play, I didn't know where I was going to play, but so mentally and if I was going to be in the infield, I have to go through bunt stuff, you know, bunt plays and, and situations in my head. So um, I'm in the right place at the right time and, you know, don't harm my team or anything. Um, so once, but once we all kind of got settled in those positions and we all knew what we were going to, you know, what our role in the team was, you know, we got into a groove and, and just didn't look back. You know, I think we won every single midweek game, mm -hmm. which, you know, those are huge when it comes to the RPI numbers and, and, you know, we grinded it out in the SSP conference and, you know, I wouldn't say we, we showcased our talent down in uh, Hoover, but we never do. So <laughs> we never did. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, you know, it's it's all about just you know the players. We had such a unique team when it comes to the the, the personality and everyone. But the one personality the team has is we weren't going to quit and we were going to grind even if we didn't score a run to the eighth or ninth inning. And we were going to hold you at bay because our defense, our de we had so much trust in our, in everybody in, on the field. You know, everyone was doing their job and, and playing hard on defense. And we knew if our pitchers, Cooper or Roth or whoever was on the mound, if they kept it, you know, kept it at bay at the plate, we were going to hold down behind them. And that's all it took. You know, we just wait until the other team took out their 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 ace and let them put some you know middle inning guy and let him miss a couple spots and then we'll tattoo him that's which what we did for two years especially in 2011. No doubt I, I was gonna say Robert you know I think it's interesting when you talk about the defense because you're you know your first year at Carolina you made zero errors your second year you only made two um, to finish with a 993 fielding percentage, which is really, really good. I mean, two errors in two years is, is phenomenal. Um, and South Carolina, like you mentioned, was always good defensively. And I think that's kind of interesting for a team that, you know, I mean, let's face it, Ray Tanner's philosophy, you know, blooping a blast right back in this thing. I mean, he loved to hit home runs. Yeah. I loved to recruit big power hitters like yourself. So to have that type of power, but a team that plays really, really good defensively too, I feel like is – you know, I don't want to say it's a rarity, but I think sometimes the defense sort of slips when a team feels like it can score 10, 10 runs every game. I mean, was that like a huge focus for Tanner as even as much, if not more so, than the hitting was? 
you know, the old saying is there's always defense wins championships and no matter what, you know, even with those old bats, you know, you you could still have that three, three, two, two, one game. I think we had a few of those with Cooper when he was on the mound and Sam and uh, against, you know, some very good talented players that are all in the big leagues now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, with those bats, you know, one day you're hitting 15, you know, five bombs in a game and 15 uh, runs on the board. And the next day you could be three, two. And, you know, the saying is true. Defense, do, you know, wins championships. Obviously, in 2011, if we didn't have the defense we did, we wouldn't be, you know, consider ourselves back-to-back champs. Mm. Uh, we had some definitely certain situations there that, uh, you know, without defense, we'd be walking off the field with our heads down. Um, but, you know, 2000, you know, 2000, going back 2010, with those bats, you know, we expected it was pretty easy to hit out of the, in the ballparks. Um, and then the transition happened in 2011, which I wish we can go back in time and, and, and use the bats that the kids use today and the baseballs that use today, because I know my numbers and everyone's numbers on that team would be so much better just because we were in such a, that transitional, uh, stage and trying to figure out, you know, how to win ball games with these lead pipes that they make us <laughs> hit with these days. Um, no yeah, and it was definitely a uh, a different kind of, of baseball in college. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of people were upset just because the home run numbers went down and you you really had to, you know, you really had to get into to the ball with – because with, we used the old, the old style – the old balls with the aluminum bats. And now these kids use these, like, semi-major league, minor league style balls baseballs mm. with the newer bats which you know balanced out the the issue they had with um you know the ones we used beforehand you know it was like hitting a using a pipe hitting a, a rag <laughs> it's like we went back in time a little bit with it but it, you know it you can't make excuses it, you know it's frustrating because you would really feel like you just got into one and and it would like barely skate over or go off the wall. You're like, what the heck, man? You, I mean, like, especially that fall, we were tra- testing out different bats. Like, who are we going to go with? You know, Easton was like, oh, no, and ours. And we were using some of their connect bats and we'd hit it. I mean, you would crush a ball and would go nowhere. And it, we're like, what the hell? So they got like, Rawlings was sending their bat in, DeMarini. We were trying them all out, trying to figure out what we can do to be successful. And, yeah, you know, it was frustrating. It was super frustrating that fall. You're like, God, this is this season's going to suck. And, you know, this, <laughs> you know, we're, you, you know, you want to hit, you know, with aluminum bats, heck yeah, you want to hit mm-hmm. the ball. You're strong. You're, you're, you're all, you're in your prime. Uh, you, you're there to go to school, work out and play baseball. And, you know, you're as strong as you can be when it comes to that being at that age. You have all the tools in the trade. And now that he, then, then they give a turnaround and give us, you know, these lead pipes to hit with. And it was interesting. It was it was fun, but it was interesting. And then the season comes along and, you know, and at that time people are still trying to figure it out. 
you know, the balls that you could, you know, hit off the end of the bat weren't going out and they weren't hit very, weren't doubles anymore. <laughs> so you just had to, you had to play ball and, and, and keep on winning ball games no matter what. That's what good teams, you know, will do. Um, we had some injuries and I think I told a reporter that year, like, if we want to consider ourselves a good team, it doesn't matter who we put on the field. We got to win ball games. That's what good teams do. And, you know, at one point we had a freshman on the outfield. We had a pitcher out in the outfield. You know, when Jackie and Evan were out, and it's just – and you had to win ball games. You know, Neff comes in for a month, hits five bombs more than most of us <laughs> did the whole year. And, you know – on his wedding night, I told his dad, I was like, the only reason why we won the second title is because Neff hit those five bombs, and most of them were within uh, within uh, tough situations and series with, with Arkansas, and it, and it kept us, you know, alive in our season to get the advantage of playing at home for a regional. Yeah, I was going to say, Robert, I think I remember, I don't know if it was 2011 or 12, but it was one of those years you're talking about the bats. I think it was, I think it was Texas that made it to Omaha, and I think they hit like seven home runs the entire year as a team. They had like a 1-2 ERA or something. It was crazy. So, I mean, I, yeah, the, the, bat, the bat change was nuts. But, uh, you know, kind of going back, 2010 team that won the College World Series, and I know you said you jumped, you know, you, you came in as a catcher, but you bounced around, obviously. I mean, Tanner wanting to get the nine best bats in the lineup. You played everywhere, but talk about a guy. I know Kyle Enders was a guy that's sort of an unsung hero and a guy that doesn't get talked about a bunch from that 2010 team, but someone I'm sure that you probably had, you know, a decent relationship with him playing the catcher position that entire 2010 season. Um, and I know you played catcher, obviously, most of the 2011 season, started a bunch, uh, basically every game. But what was your relationship like with him, and how did he help you sort of adjust to the speed of, of SEC baseball, you know, especially at the catcher position? One thing, uh, Kyle was, his story is unique. You know, he was there the entire, I think he was there with Carolina his entire four or five years. I think he gray shirted, red shirted one year. And, uh, you know, really his senior year, I, you know, I give kudos to Coach Tanner to stick him behind Enders and, and giving him the opportunity because, you know, obviously Justin Dallas was there in 2009 and, you know, he was a big leaguer or, but I got drafted high up in sixth round as a catcher. So given Enders the opportunity to, you know, play and, and show, you know, showcase his talent, <clears throat> he, uh, you know, he's a mature guy. He's like a Jay Brown, you know. Jay Brown was like, I hope he's not listening, but he's like the grandfather of the team, you know. He was, he was the dad of the team. Uh, and... You know, he was, he was just a guy you can count on. That's the thing, you know, accountability and, and, and a team sport is huge. Um, when nobody's looking and you're doing the right thing, you're doing it for the team, not just for yourself. And Enders was one of those kind of guys like Jay Brown was. And, you know, you can just count on him. He wasn't going to – he wouldn't – he wasn't going to hit 500 and he wasn't going to hit 20 bombs. Now, he he could. He had the power. But it wasn't expected out of him. But what was expected was him to block the plate, catch the ball, and throw people out of second and third. And, you know, Enders, pretty sure, had a pretty good percentage when it comes to um, throwdown. So, uh, you know, just that's just 
how he was. And, and I think all the catchers, Brady, I don't know who else was there. I think it was, you know, Anders, Brady, Richard Royal, and sometimes me. <laughs> um, but, you know, in that position, I always tell kids that, that want to be catcher, you know, catcher, being a catcher is a, is a personality position. You know, you can have, you know, you got to have some grit to you and you got to be tough. You can't be, you know, you kind of got to be the bulldog of the, of the, on the field because you got to protect your teammates. If someone won't decide to charge them out and stuff like that, and you, you know, you got to block the plate if someone's trying to get home play, you know, you're going to get, there's going to be contact. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get bruised, but you just got to shake it off and keep playing because, you know, everybody on the field is watching you the entire game. <laughs> so anytime you do something stupid, everybody sees it. So even your own players. Um, uh, so it's just one of those things when I finally got the opportunity to, you know, get behind the plate, uh, you know, I, I felt at home, you know, I knew, uh, you know, I was going to play any position I could just to be on the field. Um, but my, you know, my favorite position was catcher. I just, I, I felt more at home because I think I'm pretty sure when I started full-time catching, I, I think my numbers went up a little bit. I was a little more relaxed and I was, I was in my, in my, you know, element kind of a thing. No doubt. I was going to ask, you know, as far as your numbers were really good your first year, Timmy, hit 276 that first year, 289 that second year. Um, was there a welcome to the SEC type of moment for you? Because like you said, I know you get in the big ballpark. I mean, you know, Founders Park, I mean, these huge crowds. And and then you start facing these electric arms on Friday nights in the SEC. I mean, was there sort of a, a welcome to the SEC moment for you where you were like, this is a different animal or did you, would you say you adjusted pretty seamlessly and it wasn't too much of an adjustment? Um, I think, you know, I did, I did pretty well in the adjustment, you know, you, you take the outside distraction, I would say distractions and, you know, the fields and all the hype and all that, you know, as a, as an athlete, you kind of just, you hone that in and you, and you, trust your the skills and the and the time that you spent on the field for the years that you were, you've been playing this sport you trust all that and you just you play baseball you know in the end it's still a baseball game and um and I you know one thing about our team was we didn't care who you put on the mound if it was Sonny Gray or if it was I can't remember the guy from Auburn um left he had a hook um can't remember them, but you know, it was like a guy like Matt Barnes, you know, anyone that these guys were highly recruited, they were, you know, fixing them signed for millions of dollars uh, in the, within the next year. And there was a lot of hype on that. I think our team, especially in 2011, but you know, our team loved that stuff. All right, go ahead. Like Garrett Cole, I mean, they spent years now, they got uh, Trevor Bauer and all those guys, they're all in the big leagues, you know, making ton of money doing the same thing they were doing back then and you know we like that stuff we're like go ahead put your money babies on the on the mound and see what happens because a 95 mile an hour flat fastball is good as anything else so <laughs> you know if, you, if you're seeing it it's coming in like a beach ball at about 60 miles an hour so um we loved it 
And we love to prove to people that we might not be the tallest and prettiest looking team on the field. And we might not have all those flashy home run numbers, but we'll hit it back right. Or, you know, we'll hit it right back at your throat if we have to. So, but with the SEC, you know, I think maybe with Sonny Gray, you know, he's a guy who's kind of built like I was, 5'10", stocky, but threw the crap out of the ball. Um, I think I had one moment. Uh, I got the bunt sign, and Sonny kept throwing me a slider that I swear was breaking about, you know, 12 feet. And I couldn't – I just couldn't do it. He kept – I'd show a bunt, he'd throw a slider. Show a bunt, he'd throw a slider. And I think I ended up striking out. And I was like, oh, well, welcome to the SEC. I think that was probably my uh, SEC moment. So, but uh, overall, I think I was five for three off that guy. So, I'll take that to the grave. But, yeah, he definitely – he definitely gave me my SEC moment, I think. For sure. So, you know, you talked about, I thought it was interesting, Robert, you talked about kind of the atmosphere at Founders Park and, you know, nothing, I don't think there's any atmosphere that tops South Carolina Clemson. I mean, the best rivalry in college baseball. And then you guys, obviously you lost that series in 2010, but we're fortunate enough to play them again in Omaha, get the, get the two wins over them. And then you play them again in 2011. I believe you guys won that series, but just talk about your experience in the South Carolina Clemson rivalry. Again, it's regarded by most, I would say is, you know, the best rivalry in college baseball. I mean, very, very heated, both teams with rich traditions, and it's always a very intense series. I mean, talk about your experience in that rivalry. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to explain. But the, you know, you can see the passion in the fans, you know, the, the things that they – the money they spend and the things they do to, to – to be at these games and then you get on you get into a team or a school that's in your state you know, obviously you're gonna you know and I didn't like it was a little bit different for me because I didn't grow up you know going to South Carolina baseball games or football games in the Clemson and didn't really understand it but I think when we uh I'm trying to think where we played the first game I think it was at home maybe in 2010 mm-hmm. then we went to yeah, you know, and just seeing the stadium packed to the T, um, it's it's a different beast for sure. Um, it's a, you know, it's hard if you've been there, you feel it, but if you have if you ever played there, you know, it's like it's a different beast. It's a lot of fun, and it is, and it does get heated. You know, I think social media was starting to really pop around with Twitter and all that, and. You know, people started using it as a platform to, you know, stir the pot, which, you know, it's all part of it. I wasn't real big into all the social media except maybe Facebook. So I didn't really stay up to date with things and what people says and pictures says. And it's just, you know, you just go out there and they're just another team. Mm. Um, you know, a talented team at that. So I think 2010 – was rough, but overall, it doesn't matter what happens in the beginning of the season. It's whoever's last, and we ended up winning that series throughout the year, five out of five out of three. So I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think second year was was I don't even remember what it was. Um, did we win the second series? I think so. Yeah, I think I want to say that was the. Uh... Either that year or 12 was the heated bat thing with uh, 
with Jack. No, that was our year. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That the heated because I yeah. we had we had Christian on the show back in the spring, and we we obviously talked about the heated bat thing because that was a huge issue. <laughs> I know, I know, Tanner and those guys. You know, you guys took serious exception to that, which you should have because it was an, an an absurd, absurd claim. Oh yeah, leg it, but um, you know. You got someone like Leggett, he's very intense, you know, the guy ran with the base, you know, he's an older guy, ran with the baseball team, did more pull-ups and push-ups than the entire baseball team, and he's just one of those, you know, probably outside the sport, he's probably a really interesting guy, I've never, never really spoke to him other than shaking his hand after the game, um, so yeah, he had his, you know, he, he had his intense moments, and um, it was a cold series. I remember that, you know, earlier in the season, it's, it was cold. And mm. we all – I think it says it on it bat, on the bats itself. You know, optimum performance is at 70 degrees and above. <laughs> so, you know, we took science to, to the, you know, to the game. We're like, all right, well, they got these, these heaters, but we can do them – use it dual purpose. So uh, we put the heater close to the bat, you know, the bat, uh, the bat box, not in the box or bat around the bat box, where some of us that were not playing would stand by the heater to stay warm, so we don't pull hamstrings or any kind of muscles. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, yeah, it was we were there to help us out because these bats were, like I said, they were lead pipes. And now then you add the cold, now the ball ain't going nowhere. <laughs> and uh, um, I guess. I don't know if it was Kaboom or Kiboom or however you've said his name. I think he picked up one of our bats and noticed it was warm and blah, blah, blah. And wanted to cry to coach Leggett. And so <laughs> that started the old alpha war there um, after the game. And, you know, it is what it is. You know, they're just mad they didn't think of it first. <laughs> so, I mean, and it wasn't cheating because it wasn't in the rule book. So, um, Coach Tanner was for sure that you know it's Coach Tanner, you know, coached with class and 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 respect for the game, and you know, he wasn't going to do anything outside mm-hmm. outside the rules, and he made sure that it was checked for. So, you know, it's all about winning ball games too. For sure, so you like do, yeah. Mad, mad they didn't think of it first, so <laughs> we'll we'll stick That's right. for sure. Um, so let's jump, let's jump down that 2010 season into the college world series, Robert, you guys beat coastal Carolina in two games to get to Omaha. You lose that first game against Oklahoma, but then rattle off, um, what was I think five in a row. You're in that game two against UCLA. You guys are up one Oh, I mean, a great, just classic baseball game. Um, you're on the bases. Actually, you scored the game tying run in that one. And then obviously, um, you know, Whit Merrifield with the hit hurt around South Carolina forever, you know, comes up and has that clutch hit to right field to score the game-winning run. Uh, just just talk about, you know, that run in the College World Series as a whole because, again, it's funny, you know, I've talked with a couple different guys that have said, you know, after you guys lost that first game to Oklahoma, it was like kind of like you never know. I mean, it's just – I don't know if anybody could have seen that run that came afterwards, you guys winning again. What was it, six straight games to win the College World Series. And then, you know, I know you, again – you know, being on base, scoring the game, tying run in that one, I'm sure had to be a really, really cool feeling, again, in a game that was just crazy. I mean, Matt Price was untouchable that day. 
Um, just just a crazy run in 2010. But just, just talk about that run and that game two against UCLA. You see that ball jump off of Whit Merrifield's bat. I mean, talk about the rush of emotions that went through you once you saw that happen. Yeah, well, when, when we got to Omaha, you know, it's a, it's a blessing just being in the, in that home, in that baseball town and getting to play in the stadium that you've watched for years on television, you know, in the years prior. And it's a neat experience to be one of those kids. And uh, um, But, you know, with that first game we dropped with Oklahoma you know the six-hour rain delay and kind of make a joke of it but it 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 just it takes a toll on you and not making any excuses we could have won that ball game but it just didn't work out so you know we all kind of looked at each other in the in the um in the locker room was like all right well we're either going to do this or we're not so uh we came all this way and we've worked all this time we might as well give it our best shot kind of a thing um you know baseball is a unique sport and like any other sport you got to show up and you got to play and if you do I mean you know you show up and you play defense and you do what you're supposed to do and you know cut down on mental mistakes you're most likely going to win the ball game and um I can't remember who we played next who did we play after Oklahoma? Arizona State. You guys smashed them. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that was a. See, that, that was man, a, That was. And they were the number was, one, number one overall seed, and you guys smashed them. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. And I remember now. I actually, I've, it's been a while since I watched a little YouTube video of all that and some of the stuff I forgot. I I was even part of. Um. But yeah, you know. That year in 2010, Carolina was doing pretty well in all sports. Basketball beat Kentucky, number one. Football beat uh, Alabama, number one. It was a fun year. Um, and then we get to play Arizona State, who's ranked number one, known for their power and you know having a good ball team. Uh, it's just, you know, it was one of those, I think Morales talked about it, you know, he was upset about his A-B at the Oklahoma game the night before and talked to himself and told other teammates that I ain't going to let y'all down again. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. You know, he went in there and hit a three-run home run or something. Um, and I think that just boosted, you know, it really it brought us out of the trench. You know, we were, we were tired from the night before with a rain delay and, and the – the three two loss and you know seeing a couple of balls fly out of the ballpark in Omaha and all the crowds going crazy and the 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 girls in the stand that have I love cocks on their stomachs and they have never been to South Carolina probably. It's pretty funny. So, you know, it's one of those atmospheres that we were always we always felt like the home team. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, that's just both years we were there that I was there. You know, you can always tell when Carolina scored a ball game or or scored a, a run was the a stadium erupted. And I know we had a lot of South Carolina people there, but I know they weren't all South Carolina people. So <clears throat> we definitely felt like the hometown the hometown team there both years. Um, but yeah, beating. Arizona State was 11-4 or something like that. Really 
gave us some confidence that shit, we could do this. <laughs> we can win this thing, and you know, we ended up grinding out and doing it. How how amazed were you at what Michael Roth did against Clemson? Because I, obviously that was something that uh, – I mean, that's a story that lives on forever, and that was like the beginning of Michael Roth. And before that, he was like a lefty specialist reliever, if you will. And, you know, that, that game single-handedly turned him into a front-line ace in the 2011 year. I mean, how, how shocked were you at, at, the, at what transpired that night? Um, I guess you could say – we expected, you know, most of us, all of it, all of us expected at least four, five, six good innings out of Roth. We didn't expect the nine. And, you know, with those old bats, what he did, yeah, it was pretty unreal. With teams, you know, being in Omaha, you're, you're facing the best of the best now. And he went out there and, you know, by always some people say, you know, how'd y'all win? Well, the stars lined up, I guess. But we played hard. And Roth is a guy that even when he wasn't playing, he – kept everyone in the dugout loose and laughing and having a good time and that was one thing we were known for it could be we could be down two runs in the eighth inning and we're still you know joking around yelling and screaming at the other team and having a good time and then we turn around pop four runs on you and we beat you four to two you know that's just how we were and you know but when Roth was on the mound he was a, he was a different animal no matter what, he was a different animal. And I remember catching him, you know, he can be as goofy as all get out, but when he's the starting pitcher and on the mound, he wanted to be, he wanted the game at his pace. You know, he would, he would tell me right away, get the ball back to me fast. Okay. So I'd catch it, throw back as fast as I could because he wanted the game at his pace. And when it, he wanted to control the atmosphere and that's how he was, you know, he, uh, he went out there against, Against you know, thank God it was Clemson, and <laughs> he went out there and Clemson had some talented hitters, and he went out there and just shut them down with them old bats. It just you couldn't ask for any other you know anything else. He did what he was supposed to do, and he and he showcased his uh his talent up there, and the the accolades and the things he got the following year and that year and the following year was a well deserved. For sure. So, like I said, moving to that UCLA game, that final game, you know, Whit Merrifield gets the walk-off hit. You know, just kind of to come where you, you know, came from in high school, wanting to play for South Carolina, going the JUCO route, what was the rush of emotions like for you when you jump into the dog pile realize you guys are national champions? Mm. Um, you know, the 2010 and the UCLA, I think, you know, I did some pinch hitting and some pinch running, you know, yeah, everybody wants to be out on the field, wants to be the star player. But you, at that point in the season, and you, you're in that atmosphere. You're going to do whatever it is for the team to win a ball game. And if that's minimal to nothing, or being a cheerleader in the in the dugout, then that's what you're there for to do. And you're there to soak up, soak it all in, no matter what. Um, you know. Coach Tanner gave me the shot to get up there and pinch hit a couple times and certain, you know, in, in late in the game and basically get on base, make something happen. And so, you know, I took pride in that. And luckily I was able to get a base hit and get on base. And I think Witt was behind me. 
Uh, and I got the steal sign a couple times. And I think I stole once, had the base stolen, but Witt ended up uh, foul tipping, so I had to go back. And uh, I think I'm pretty sure I stole a couple pitches later. So now I was in scoring position, and um, I can't remember who came up. I don't know if Witt walked or bunted and got me to third or something. No, it was Jackie. Jackie came in. I'm not sure what happened, what Witt did after that, but Jackie came in, hit the tying run, which I scored. Um, and then, you know, towards the end of the, uh, towards the end of the game, uh, we had the opportunity. Wingo was on base, you know, what was it? Two to two, I think. Mm -hmm. Two to two games. One, one. And yeah. One one, that's right. One one. Wing was on base, we grinded it out and getting there. Uh I think Jeff Jones had a big old big A B at that time. Uh got a uh, drew a walk and you know, Wick got up there and you know, waited for that low outside pitch. You know, he had the he had the count in his favor and he told him, you know, I know going back he told himself if it's close, put the bat on the ball and hit it where it's pitched. And he did, and that was it. And yeah, it's a definitely a rush of emotions. You're out there, we're got shaved heads because we all shaved their heads. We got our hats and glasses upside down. And, uh, you know, I think we pulled our socks down towards our ankles, and it was, <laughs> we did anything and everything to have a good time and rally and, and win that ball game. And, um, yeah, it's definitely a flood of excitement, and I think we we hugged Jackie, or no, we hugged uh, Wingo when he scored, but we had to go chase Wit down because he was out by second base. <laughs> and we, I think I had to like, uh, what do you call it? Hook his leg for him to go down because he didn't want to go down to be on the bottom of the pile. <laughs> so I think I used the takedown technique and hooked his leg, made him go down, <laughs> and then the pile was on. And uh, I've been at the bottom of those piles. They're heavy. They get heavy. You <laughs> want about five seconds of that before you're screaming, get off, get off, get off, because <laughs> they get heavy quick. <laughs> No doubt. So, Robert, moving into that 2011 season, I know, I, you know, you talked about Adrian Morales a bunch. We talked to him and kind of the different mindset going into 2011 where it was, you know, 2010 was, you know, fun to do and it was a heck of a run. But 2011, it was really expected. And that team came in with sort of a different mentality, different attitude. You were a guy that sort of benefited or, you know, that 2011 season for you, like you mentioned, you got a lot more opportunity, um, started a bunch, played in 65 games that year. Your at-bats more than doubled that season. Um, and your numbers reflected that, you know, you hit 289 on the year, three homers, 35 RBIs. But I want to I jump to later in that 2011 season because I mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, you were the NCAA Columbia Regional MVP and made the all-tournament team. You had five hits, a double, triple, grand slam, five ribbies in the grand slam. Um, coming in, I believe it was a 2-1 ball game um, for the Gamecocks. Just, just talk about that 2011 season and then going into that postseason. You know, again, like I mentioned, you had that grand slam against Stetson, you know, what, besides being, you mentioned being on the field more and just being more comfortable, I mean, was it something else that clicked for you and then going into the postseason, you know, was there any doubt in your mind that this team was going to make another run and probably win the College World Series again? Um, 
you know, I would say, you know, the cliche thing, yeah, we have no doubt in my mind we should be in the College World Series, um, but you still got to show up and play. Um, you know, prior to that, we uh, we had a pretty good last month. Like I said, you know, Neff came in and really helped us out and saved our butts in a couple games with a, some uh, clutch home runs. Um, and I think Brady started – he had that foot fracture and just couldn't squat anymore. But, you know, Brady was a tough kid. And that's what we – you know, we had a team full of tough players. And he was saying, you know, I can run and I can hit, but I can't squat anymore. So knowing that, I, you know, I was behind the plate and I was the guy, you know, I loved being that everyday guy. You know, I think I was catching a lot more on Saturdays just to give Brady – some leg, his legs rest, which was fine, you know, play in the outfield, go catch, you know, you don't see that a lot in, uh, in college or anywhere and being able to, being trusted by coach to do that. I loved every bit of it. I loved to be able to just showcase all that. And, um, you know, knowing that, Hey, you're going to, you're the everyday, you're the man. Yeah. You know, it, put, it puts the responsibility where I wanted it to be. And, um, I, you know, I just, like I said, I felt at home when I finally got to, to that position mm. and my numbers, you know, I felt more comfortable. I wasn't worried about, you know, every AB, you know, you feel like, you know, every AB, if you're not playing every day, you got to go full for four just so you can play the next game. So mm. you're not worried about that anymore. You just, you're in, you're, you're in the element and you're in the zone and you're there to win ball games. And, uh, you know, I guess I, I just saw the – I felt like, I, you know, back my freshman year in college, you know, I just was seeing the ball very well. And he just getting – you know, I've read a couple um, psychiatric sports, you know, psychology of sports books and all that, and they call it the white zone. You're just in the white – you know, you're just in this white zone. And, and everything, no matter how hard it's thrown, it looks like a beach ball coming at you. And you can count the scenes while it's spinning. And uh, that's the way it just what it was. And going with Stetson, Stetson's, you know, 45 minutes from my hometown. That was a pretty neat opportunity. I got to play with the, play against the kid that I grew up playing football and baseball with for years. Yeah. And he was their first baseman. And he ended up hitting, I think, his only or one of his only home runs of the season uh, against us prior to the Grand Slam. Yeah. And um, – when he did that, and we were always, you know, we always competed against each other. Even when we played with each other, we always competed and joked and, you know, poked at each other all the time. So when he had home played, I said, I see you, Trey. I see you. I said, you wait. And he just laughed. Uh, and got the opportunity, got bases loaded. I think there was two outs. And their pitcher, you know, had, I had a 2-0 count, you know, Coach Tanner, and during those situations, we always like, Barry! And you always point. I was like, I know, Coach, I know. <laughs> and uh, so I was I was expecting a fastball, and he left it up kind of belt high. Uh, just put a good hit, put a good swing on it, and it was on the sweet spot of those lead bats, and uh, I knew it was gone right away. And I, I remember running down – first base 
and I got that, you know, that same, like, that excitement you would get uh, when in a walk-off game or, you know, that just real energy from my, you know, from the bottom of my feet. And I remember running down first and pointing at the dugout, like, that one was for y'all. And I think Walker told me, like, later in the day or later after that game, he goes, bro, when you – I don't know what it was. I was mad at something, but when you hit that grand slam and pointed at the dugout, because I, I just wanted to, like, throw everything. I wanted to throw the food everywhere in excitement. He says, I was so jacked up for you. It wasn't even funny. So, you know, it's just a, it's the excitement and the love we had for each other. Um, and, you know, to see each other have the success that we did and the different opportunities throughout the games. Um, you know, it was, it was a little personal, too, with playing against a kid that I grew up with mm-hmm. and playing against a, t- a school that didn't even recruit me, and I lived 40 minutes away from him. <laughs> so, and I think the, uh, a couple of reporters asked the coach if they knew about me. They said, yeah, we knew about him. It's just, it's just one of those things. It's recruiting. So, no but, doubt. So, so, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, obviously, you tear it up in the regionals. You guys sweep through the Super Regionals against UConn, get back to Omaha. I mean, obviously, that was on the magical run. And what still stands is, you know, which I think is really cool that you were a part of it. South Carolina still holds the record for most consecutive NCAA tournament wins with 22 most consecutive wins in the College World Series with 12, which all numbers um, are crazy. Set the record for consecutive home NCAA tournament wins with 29 that went all the way to 2013. I mean, all numbers I think will never be touched by anybody, which is – Again, they're crazy. But sticking to that 2011 year, um, you know, you guys had some close wins. You know, Texas A&M, you're down 4 nothing, come back, win 5-4. You guys take care of Virginia that first game. The second game, you go to 13 innings, win 3-2. Um, and then the Florida game comes, which that game one of Florida, I don't think will ever be forgotten. And that's one, obviously, I want to spend some time <laughs> talking to you, you with, Robert. I think one of the craziest – one of the craziest baseball games – anyone's ever watched I'm sure one of the craziest baseball games you've ever played in but my my question really this entire interview my one question to you is how in the world did you pick that baseball with a catcher's mitt that that is just like <laughs> crazy to me oh uh, yeah Florida because growing up being a Gator fan wanting to play baseball and football for Florida um yeah, that was that one. That was a little more that touched home because I know I had a lot of family members and a lot of my dad's friends that were just diehard Gator fans, but they, it, you know, deep down they were still rooting for me. Uh, you know, it was personal on my level, really. You know, I wanted to go to Florida, and they kind of said, "Yeah, we want you, but you know, we don't have. We're not going to give you a whole lot of money." And I was like, "All right, well." I got other schools that will pay for my school. So thanks, but no thanks. Um, so this, this was my opportunity on the personal level to kind of shove it up Florida. If I want, you know, say it nicely, shove it up their butt and say, you should have picked me, but I'm okay with it. Um, you know, that, that game with, we the pitcher of I think I can't remember his name Johnson or something like that a redheaded guy mm-hmm. he, he had some good stuff and it was like facing Roth up there maybe with a little more velo but his stuff moved and you know he was and he was hitting the spots and and it's just again it's a grind you just got to get to the you got to hit the 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 missed pitches and and put the ball in play 
and and stay in the game at the same time. And, you know, I think Peter Mooney um, drew a walk and, you know, Walker had that hand issue and, mm. you know, he's a tough cat. And that's, that's, that, that guy, that guy had a pretty swing even with a broken hand. And, uh, you know, he put a, he put that uh, bat on the ball and it snake guide through the, through the middle of the field, scored the run to tie it up. Um, and you could tell emotionally on that uh, Florida's pitcher, uh, he was getting frustrated, you know, because throughout the year he had a lot of guys behind, you know, on offense for their team, you know, hitting home runs and, and coming in, in big where it didn't put a lot of pressure on his shoulders. And you could tell he was getting frustrated because he was, you know, read his lips. He was dropping F-bombs in the dugout and yelling in his gloves. And so we knew we were getting to him. Um and uh, you know, just playing playing the ball game, playing letting the stars line up and letting letting the opportunities fly. You know, we had bases loaded I think four times throughout that World College World Series, a couple times with uh Virginia and then two times I think in just in that one game with Florida with no outs. And getting out of all four of those jams is uh, you know, is pretty luck. <laughs> <laughs> I would say we had skill when it comes to making the plays when the opportunity arises, but there, there's a lot of luck in all that. And, uh, um, you know, with Zanino hitting that ball, and luckily he hit it as hard as he did, and Jake coming in from left field, uh, you know, we practiced those. We call them do or dies during practice. You know, I was a part of that when I was in the outfield. So I understood, you know, you come in hard, you field it clean and make a good throw that's it that's all you can do it's you it's do or dies you either win or you don't so make a good throw we get a chance and he ended up making a good enough throw and was able to put a tag on Bucky Dent's son Cody Dent I think his name was mm. and uh you know and keep the game alive that was a moment more so like that ground energy that I got hitting the grand slam um, you know, tagging him out like that and spinning towards the Florida dugout and the fans and holding the ball up. That I think I have a picture somewhere of that. And then that was that same energy and excitement. And I usually, I'm not a person, even when I, you know, if I scored a touchdown in high school, I didn't do a whole lot of celebration. I just gave the ball to the referee and ran off the field. You know, it's, that's what I was there to do. And, but a couple of times I felt it. You know, you get that energy from the bottom of your feet and you just want to express it. And um, that was one of those moments. And, um, you know, then we get the, uh, was it, I think his base was loaded. Mm -hmm. you know, John Taylor's up on the, John Taylor's up on the mound, thrown down from the submarine sidearm, um, hitting the spots, uh, you know, working the count, working the hitters and using some of their, you know, their aggression at the plate against them. And I think that's, you know, the biggest thing is with him, you know, with all the pitchers, you got to hit your spots in the games online. And he was hitting his spot. And then the guy tried to pull a pitch. He probably should have gone the other way, which sent it, you know, semi up the middle. And, you know, Wingo, I've seen him make those kind of plays all year for two years straight. And even in practice, you know, the plays he's made, you know, saying it was a surprise that he made it is a lie because 
Wingo was a, one hell of a infielder, uh, making that, you know, diving play and getting up. He, I always was amazed by his quick snap throws he could do with turning two or just his quickness in his arm. And he just stood up and flicked it, really. Uh, it, yeah, it was short. And, yeah, I threw my mask in front of the plate. Um, you know, but you just – you just react. You play ball. You know, I picked, you know, pick balls with uh, my catcher's mitt. Uh, just playing catch. You know, you just, you just do it. You let your, you let the all the time you spent uh, catching a baseball throughout your life. And you just allow muscle memory and the things that you know to do take place. And it, you know, luckily, uh, it it get. It gave me a pretty decent hop. I wouldn't say it was the easiest pick, but it was a decent hop. It wasn't too long. And, uh, you know, luckily that glove had a good, nice good pocket in it from being worked in by all the pitchers, and it went our way, you know. And even at that moment, you know, I was kind of – if you look back on the videos, I kind of took a deep breath after that play and was like, okay. You know, I wasn't that same, you know, jazzed-up excitement that I got with Jake Williams' throw. But I was, it was more contained, I would say. I was trying not to, you know, I was trying to have that, you know, swag. Like, yeah, I knew I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember John Taylor after that. Because I think you guys got the double play on the next pitch. And John Taylor yeah. absolutely losing his mind running off the field. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, what you mentioned, the, the, I, I feel like one of the crazy – I mean, just the pick itself was crazy. But, yeah, the mask, I mean, you watch the replay, and it's like if that ball is like an inch to the left, it's the ball hits the mask, they score the run, game's over. It's just, you know, yeah. like, like you're saying, it's not it's not luck in a sense, but it's like those small things that happen. It's like some things have just got to go your way, and it, it definitely did. So, yeah. um, game you know, of, you know they, it's a game of inches, just yeah. like anything else. Everything's a game of inches, and it goes your way, you know, it's, it's just the way it is. Yeah. No, nothing you can say about it. Like I always say, just the stars lined up. <clears throat> For sure. So that that game two against Florida, though, you guys a little bit less dramatic. Get the uh, the five two win. Roth gets the win. Price gets the save. Um, that last out, you know, Jackie catches that baseball, throws it in center field. What what was the feeling winning? Because I mean, that was the last game of your collegiate career. What was the feeling for you personally? Again, you beat the Florida Gators. You stick it to them. You win your the second national title. Was it less sweet, more sweet, the same feeling? Because I know Morales talked about it. You know, 2010 was – it was a different feeling for both years because 2010 was you did something you'd never done before. And 2011 was more so, you know, you took care of business and did what you felt like you should have done. But I feel like for you probably, especially beating Florida and being your last collegiate game, it had to hold a pretty special place for you. Yeah. Um, you know, I think when we were – when we played the second game – Roth was up there pitching, you know, coming off like maybe, what, three and a half days of, of rest. Um, Price with the same, just got done throwing 95 pitches a few days before. Uh, you know, but that, like, you look back and you think about all the things that we all did. You know, I think I found out after the season I had a partial torn rotator cuff um, throughout the month, the last month of the season. Um from throwing down a second on a rain delay game or some midweek game. And, you know, those are the things that, you know, teams at that time of the year, you're going to, you, you'll have, you know, Walker had his, had his wrist injury. I had that shoulder, my shoulder. 
and people were tired. Your arms, your arms are worn out at that time. It's it's one of those things when we were playing that second game, uh, we were up five to three. Mooney hit the only home run in the, for us in the, in that college world series, you know, um, I looked at Brady and we were, we we're kind of laughing like, bro, we're up five to two or something like that. And he goes, man, that feels so weird because like the last three or four games, it's been, they were dog fights. Mm. And, uh, sorry, man, I don't know if you hear my dog saying oh, siren. Um, but yeah, you know, we looked, Brady and I looked at each other, we're like, man, it's kind of a relief. We're up five to five to two. And it wasn't that we were, we knew we were going to win the game because you can't ever think that with a team like Florida, but we were kind of relieved. <laughs> mm. I, I told him, like, I'm glad it's five to two. I'm done with these two, two games. <laughs> 13 innings. He goes, I'm tired. My legs are shot. And he just laughed. And, uh, um, you know, and Jack or Jackie can't get a good price goes out there and does what he does. And Jackie catches that ball and tosses it into the center field. And I think he turns and looks and kind of says, why did I just do that? But, uh, he we running in, you know, being on the field this time. Yeah, the excitement. I wouldn't say it was, it, you know, it's the same, but it's not. You know, it's like a. It was more like a business trip, like you would say. Like we won it, we never did it. That excitement's awesome. No, and I can't say that for all of us because, you know, some of the guys on the 2011 team never won a national title. So, for them, they had that same excitement we had in 2010. I'm pretty sure. But. 2011, it was exciting. Heck yeah, you're done. You won. You did it. But it was just like I said. It was like we just proved to everyone that, you know, like Morales said, it wasn't a fluke. You know, we were there and we were going to win this thing no matter what. And you know, you get excited. I think I threw my mask and helmet down, and I grabbed Price, and that we learned from the first dog pile. Um, at the super regional, uh, don't lay on your back or your stomach because you'll get crushed. So we both, I grabbed him, we hugged each other on the ground and laid on our side so I could take the weight a little bit better and uh, prevent injury. So, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. It's exciting. You know, the guys that never won the national title, I know they were excited. They'll get out and, you know, we just proved to the, the baseball world that, you know, even with the new bats, we were the team to beat. For sure. So, Robert, looking back at your career now, I feel like it's probably, <clears throat> you know, you're able to look back now and really have perspective on things. I mean, what would you say was your favorite memory in Garnet and Black? I mean, would it be that Florida series or uh, something else? I mean, what, what was your favorite memory, would you say? Uh yeah, I mean, the Florida series is definitely up there. Um, hitting the Grand Slam, you know, obviously hitting the Grand Slam on television, big stadium in front of all the fans, and uh, getting that rush of energy running out first base, that's a pretty special moment. Um, and, and, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of anything else, you know. 
you know, having you know having those close games and, and winning with a couple walk-offs throughout those two years. I think Brady had one, Wingo had one, and I think they were you know like walk-off home runs. You know, it's that's what you that's what you live for when you play that sport, and that's what you you grind in your younger years to get to that point, and you know being a part of that kind of stuff, and you know cheering on your teammates and seeing the success of your teammates. That's what makes those memories a whole lot more fun. For sure. So, Robert, I'm going to get you out of here, but <clears throat> I got one last question for you, sort of off the wall, sort of fun question, if you will. Um, when you look back, your your favorite or maybe your best, funniest, whatever, a Ray Tanner story that sticks out to you, because I know a lot of people have a lot of different experiences with Coach Tanner and uh, obviously a legend in his own right. But what's your uh, what's your best Ray Tanner story? Uh, I'm sure you heard some of them. I think the ECU – series in 2010 when he came back and pretty much reamed us all in the dugout when we got back from Eastern Carolina. I'm sure you've heard it from some of the other guys. Uh, that was a pretty good one because Bobby Haney was a uh, class act and he was a great uh, impersonator um, that made everyone laugh. And I think that was kind of, kind of our, you know, our inside joke as teammates and stuff like that. And I'm pretty sure he, Coach Tanner saw some of his impersonations of him uh, reaming us that day. But uh, that was a good one. Um, I think personally, when I first got to South Carolina, they had a, a kid's night. And uh, they had a bunch of kids watching, you know, a Disney movie on the Jumbotron. And Coach Tanner had this young boy who ended up being Luke, but had this young boy sitting on his lap. And I think I was like the next day or a couple of days later, we were at catching bullpens and coach Tanner was out there watching the pictures and all talking to us. And uh, I was like, Hey, coach Tanner, was that your grandson? And he looked at me and goes, that was my son. I was like, Oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> and so between Coach Tanner and I, every now and then I'd see him, he'd give me that look like he wanted to say something. And I'd just look at him and smile, be like, hey, Coach, how's your grandson? And he told me, he goes, hey, Barry, how's your how's your butt? But he's, you know, he'd be like, how's your ass? I was like, oh, it's good. He goes, is it flat yet? Because you're going to sit that bench all year. <laughs> so, personally, that was uh, coach, uh, a joke between Coach Tanner and I. And, you know, he's uh, one of those kind of guys, you know. He can gift or gab, and he can. And from that point on, we kind of had that relationship. We kind of just would have one-liners punch, one-line punches at each other. And I think even to this day, I see him every now and then at a baseball game or a football game, and say hello. And you know, we have that relationship just to keep each other in check, kind of thing. So I know Luke's all grown up now compared to what he was when I was there. So. That's awesome. Well, Robert, really do appreciate you taking the time, man. Obviously, a lot of a lot of good memories to relive from those 2010-2011 teams. And obviously, glad to hear you're doing well currently as well. I know you've, uh, you know, like I said, back in your hometown working in the police department. I know, uh, you know, you you, uh, you had a little celebrity appearance on live, I think, what was it, Live PD when you were in Richland County. So, I'm sure everybody saw yeah. you on that. I remember, I remember everybody seeing you on that as well. It was a big buzz on social media. You got the uh, – got the appearance on live PD. So, I mean, things uh, seem things are going well for you post-baseball. So, glad to hear it. But I, always a pleasure, man. I'd love to get you back on, talk during the season. Obviously, Carolina baseballs, we all love it. So, we'd love to get you back on, talk some ball. And uh, it's always a pleasure, man. Really appreciate you taking the time.
No problem. I appreciate you having me on here. Perfect. So for, for perfect. So for Robert Barry, I'm Chris Phillips. Appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.